You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. I'm going to start us out here and open with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you for each person here who loves you, who is honestly seeking and following after you. We don't think that we know all the answers to all the questions out there, but we do know the one who does know the answers. We love you, God. We worship you. I'm so grateful that we can come together on this first day of a year. We know it's an arbitrary date and in eternity, but for us it's a newness and a beginning, and we want to take every opportunity to say yes to you. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts and we'd be able to see the things that are in your, in your word for us today. I pray that each one of us would go home changed, uh, more conformed to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Remember, Romans is about the gospel and the gospel is about Jesus. And so up to this point, uh, in his letter to the Romans, and it's not to the Romans per se, but it's the church in Rome, uh, so that's why it's called Romans, uh, Paul has shown, uh, number one, people's need for salvation, and he, he spoke to the immoral, he spoke to the moral people who think they're good, he also spoke to the Jews who thought that they were God's chosen people, and he said, listen, all of us have sin, and all of us are in desperate need of a Savior. And number two, he showed us that uh, the gift of salvation, God's gift of salvation, is through the death of his son Jesus. Jesus purchased our salvation. And number three, uh, it's God's grace that has uh, forgiven us of our sins because of what Jesus had done. So Paul's focus has been, previously to this point, justification. That's a, a theological word uh, which, which simply means we have been saved uh, we are declared righteous before him. We can have peace with God. But the next uh, section of Romans here, uh, specifically in chapters 5 to 8, deals with sanctification. Sanctification, justification is we have been saved. Sanctification is we are being saved. Sanctification is God's, uh, God progressively separating believers from sin and making them more like himself. So the process of sanctification uh, is ongoing. So justification is the moment uh, that we are saved. Actually, that's the first moment of our process of sanctification. It's when we pass uh, through Christ from from death to life. Sanctification is the step-by-step process when the Holy Spirit works in our lives and conforms us into the image of Christ. So uh, Paul's discussion of sanctification is going to follow this outline for the next three chapters. Uh, explains in chapter 6 that we're free from sin's control. Chapter 7 uh, says and declares that we'll have this continuing, ongoing struggle with sin. And chapter 8 uh, describes how we as believers can have victory over sin. So the key point uh, is to realize that all believers have a new nature and the Holy Spirit within. Yet, they also have the old human nature with its capability to sin. Hence, this ongoing struggle with sin. 
It's a constant tension in our lives. We are saved. We have this new nature. We have the Holy Spirit. We're born again. Yet we live in a body that's full of our old nature. Uh, thanks to God that he promises us victory in this whole process. So here's what the Bible says uh, that we're going to get into today. Backing up just a couple of verses in chapter 5, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But uh, as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love what John Piper says about this. All of us are sinners and guilty because we are united to the first Adam. We will be saved or not because we are united by faith to Jesus Christ, the second Adam. That's a summary of uh, what we preached about uh, last week over Christmas. So here we are in Romans 6. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Everyone together. Of course not. (laughs) Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ Christ. By baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. I love that. Isn't there a song? We are no longer slaves to sin. No, it's slaves to fear. They should write a new verse. We're no longer slaves to sin. Um, It's amazing. You want to know what you're a slave to? uh, What sin you're a slave to? It's what comes out of you when you are sat upon. When you're squished. When you're hard-pressed on every side, when the world is falling down around you, whatever comes out at that point, that's what you're struggling with. Ask God for that insight. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. It's a powerful passage there. I'm looking forward to these next few chapters as well. It's continuing on to the rest of Romans. So a couple things out of here, and then we're going to have an application. This is sort of a, a different kind of day here at Westside. And, uh, but I want us to go home with some handles, some things to hold on to today 
uh, particularly because it's a new year. Now, some of us out there probably... I would guess about half of us really don't like New Year's resolutions. We go, I don't need a day to tell me, you know, uh, you know, wh- whatever. If God tells me something, I'm going to do it, even if it's on March 3rd, you know, or something like that. So this is my March 3rd resolution. But I, I just, here's, here's my philosophy, personal philosophy, is I want to take every single opportunity that I can to say yes to Jesus. If today's an opportunity to make a New Year's resolution, I'm going to do it. And I'm not because somebody's telling me to do it, but because it's another opportunity to say yes to Jesus. It's like that song goes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. And so that's the successful Christian life as far as I'm concerned. So number one, why not keep on sinning if God has already forgiven us? Have you ever thought that? We may not have thought of it in those words, but we act like it a lot of times. We keep sinning. God's going to forgive us. Jesus said it's finished. He died for all the sin of the world. My past, present, and future sin. You know, he knew I was going to do this, what I'm planning on doing. And, and Paul says, of course not, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So he says, of course not, in the NLT. And other versions say, God forbid. Some say, certainly not. Some One of the versions says, absolutely not. We don't continue purposefully to live in sin. To me, that's like a slap in the face. It's, it's like the Mount Everest of insults and disrespect and ingratitude to what Jesus has done for us. If we are believers and we truly understand that Jesus paid the price for our sin, for my sin, and then I on purpose go out and sin again because I know His grace is going to cover me, that is, that is a humongous insult. And, and it's, it displays our lack of gratitude for what He has done for us. I don't know, I don't know how I could describe it for us to just say, I'm going to keep on putting that... That's what Paul says. Are you going to keep putting Jesus back on the cross, so to speak? To die for your sin again? That's kind of what you're doing. And um, I pray that God will give us insight into that. We, we're, we're bound up by our sinful nature. We're going to sin. We don't have to sin. We're not under the power of sin anymore. We now actually have a choice. And some of us may go for a long time and, and have less and less sin in our life. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. But when we fall, we don't just, oh, I'm back to zero again. No, you just get up and say, God, thank you for paying the price for that. I honestly didn't plan on doing that ahead of time. Uh, but it's very it's sinful. I know it grieves your heart. Please forgive me. And then get up, dust yourself off, and keep going. Don't sit there and wallow in your sin and, oh, I got to feel guilty for at least 15 minutes. You know, I got to add to what Jesus did on the cross. That's what we're doing. When we think that we have to add to what Jesus did, just say, thank you for, for, for your forgiveness. I'm going to move on. Help me to be more like Jesus. Number two, since he died for us, let's live for him. I always think that's a great motto for young people. He died for us. Let's live for <laughs> For him, your whole life ahead of you, to make those purpose statements now. Now, the younger you are, the more valuable you are as far as the kingdom goes, as far as the time to serve him goes. Romans 6, 5, since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised 
to life as he was. So we're dead to sin. You cannot <coughs> tempt a dead person. I was going to get a bunch of teenagers right, uh, here before, but I thought it would be too embarrassing for the girls. So I was going to get one of the guys to stand up here and say, okay, you're dead, you're a mummy, and we're just leaning you up here against the wall. And then have all these cute girls walk by him, you know, just like walking by like this. Do you know what? You can't tempt a dead person. And if your struggle is with food and we bring a big turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes by and, you know, like this, pumpkin pie. You can't tempt a dead person. And we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. I'm not temptable anymore. I've died to that. Does my old nature kind of go like this? Yes, it does. But we don't have to give in to that because we're not under its power anymore. We are free from the power of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, verse 6 says. Why? Number three, because we're united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Verse four, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Now, this baptism we're talking about is a full immersion into water. It's what they all understood. Paul assumed that these Roman believers were baptized at conversion. That's how it had been ever since the day of Pentecost. People gave their lives to Jesus. They went out and got baptized. And so he was assuming that they would clearly recall that experience. Now, you may not... Some people believe that you're not a Christian unless you remember the point when you said yes to Jesus. I don't think the Bible says that. I was born, and I don't remember the day I was born, and I'm here, like this. But for my, for my conversion, sometimes people take a long time. They take steps. Many of us do know the point we said yes to Jesus. Most of us probably do. But for others, they just, all of a sudden, one day they go, uh, I believe in Jesus, yes. Uh, I know that he's Lord of my... I've asked him to forgive my sins. I, I know all these things. Ah, oh, I guess the Bible, whoever described that up there, I guess, yeah, I am a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. And so that has taken place on, on the inside of you. I don't want to argue about that. There's, there's different ways for everybody to come to Christ. But then this step of baptism, it now becomes a public declaration to the world of what's taken place on the inside. And I'll tell you what, your hesitancy or your fearfulness or your embarrassment of going out there uh, should not matter because you're dead. All right, we're going to bury you. That's what that is. You're going to die, you're going to be buried, but you're going to be raised to life. And so all of that means that you're identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection and rising to walk in newness of life. So not only is it a public declaration 
of your faith in Christ, which is a big deal. And kids can understand that. I asked Jesus in my heart, I really want to follow God, and I want to tell the world that. That's at, at its most basic level. But anything we do in God is multi-layered. Yeah. There's more, and there's more, and there's more. Just ask Matt or uh, about the feast. They ate this feast on this month, and this feast they celebrated. Does that all that means, that they ate this food? No, it means this too, and it means this too, and it means this too, and it means this too, because God's Word is eternal, and it's alive, and, and we can uh, study it for the rest of our lives. In any subject that we study in the Word of God, we can learn more about it and more about it, and you can read a verse a thousand times, and all of a sudden it illuminates in another area. You go, ah, I never even saw that before. I read Genesis 1 this morning for about, the I don't know, at least the 200th time in my life. And I go, Terry, I said, do you know that God created the... um, what did I say? It was something... I, oh, it was... He created the trees and the bushes and the plants and all the seed-bearing things on the third day. And then on the fourth day, he created the sun and the moon. I never knew that, that he created those before. You know why? Because on the first day, God said, let there be light. So there was light for these plants. The sun isn't the only source of light. God is the source of light because he said, let there be light. But just little tiny things, they're always coming out at you. So bat- water baptism... When we get saved, you're gonna, you, you might have gotten baptized as a young believer, as even a teenager or a youngster. And then as you grow older, you learn more and more about it. You don't have to go back and get baptized every time. Uh, sometimes uh, you may want to. That's fine. I did. I, I got rebaptized when I was, I don't know, 35 or 40, when I had a deeper understanding of what God had done in my life and, and things like that. I just said, I want to get baptized again. So I did. And it was, it was very meaningful um, but this water baptism thing, Paul knew that they had a basic understanding of what that was. But it's just like when Jesus died and was buried, we, when we go in that water, that moment that we're under, we're dead to ourselves. We're reckoned as dead to ourselves. A lot of times when we baptize people, we put them under the water and they come out and they're healed of a particular ailment. Sometimes I've laid hands and water baptized people and they come out and their whole countenance changes. It's like, it's like the, they left everything, the old man. That's why Paul says, my old man was crucified with Christ. I used to think that means his dad was one of the guys, the thieves on the cross, when he said my old man was crucified with Christ. But he's talking about his old nature was crucified with Christ. And then rising to walk in newness of life. We've had people, sometimes they'll, they'll go in the water baptismal, and they say, they carry a rock, and they go... This is, this is a thing that God's going to heal me of or get rid of. I've had, I have had friends that, you know, they struggled with uh, smoking cigarettes or something. And they go, I just, I just don't want this anymore. And they go down and boom, they let it go. And they let it stay buried and they come back up. That's not in the Bible. You don't have to do that. It's just, it's a point of reference for people that really their old person is buried. They're left there and they're rising to what? They're not under the power of sin anymore. And we need to reconcile ourselves with that. So, baptism is a big deal. It is a big deal. If you have not been water baptized and you're a believer, you need to be water baptized. Sign up. One, one month from today, on the first Sunday of February, we're going to have water baptism. And uh, I think that we should have a whole bunch out there. So, Yes, it's a public declaration of our faith in Christ. Something, an outward declaration of what's taking place on the inside, but it's also so much more. 
So Paul says here, finally, number four, now we live for God's glory. That's his glory, not ours. We live for his glory. That's the biggest sign of maturity. Just in a human being, when they, when they grow up as a child, there's a great leadership book out called Kingdom of Self. It's like when we're born, we realize it's all about me. Everybody looks at me. I don't even know how to do anything. I just go like this. I can just see people, and they're all looking at me. I mean, from the earliest of ages. And then they, then they start to do, look at I can do this. And everybody goes, oh, oh, you're so wonderful. And they, all their life, I'm just talking very uh, sterilely about this. I love babies and our grandchildren. We had a great week this last week. But we realize, you know, parents, one of the best things you can do for your kids is raise them to understand that the world doesn't revolve around them. We have too many adults in this world that still think the world revolves around them. It's all about them. And it's really not. As believers, we understand it's all about Him. That's the best thing that we can do. Paul says here in Romans 6, verse 10 and 11, When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Amen. I love that. The Life Application Bible com- Commentary has kind of a lengthy quote here. Paul began this chapter by describing the miraculous power of the gospel. It sets people free from sin's control. It's not that Christians don't or can't sin anymore, but that they're free to choose between wrong and doing right. This Christ-bought freedom brings great responsibility. Believers must use their God-given opportunity to make right choices, replacing sinful thoughts and actions with righteous ones. Failure to do so means remaining enslaved to sin, but the rewards of serving God include abundant joy and eternal life. Wow. What a great privilege we have when Jesus set us free. So just a few things before we go. So in, when you're raised to life, so to speak, Paul used that phrase in here about being baptized and then you're identifying his death, burial, and resurrection. You're raised to life. I want to give you a few basics that we can hold on to. And if you don't like the resolution thing, just think of it as a January 1 thing. All right? a New Year's thing versus a whatever. Just I want to encourage you. And if you own these already and you practice these and do these, uh, keep on, keep it on. Stay the course. Um, First of all, the Word. The Word of God is a big deal. When the children of Israel were in the desert and God provided manna every day, he, He sent the manna and they were to gather it every day before the sun came up. And they were only to gather enough for that day. I'm convinced that many believers, if we could see their spiritual self, we'd see that it's emaciated and uh, crying out uh, in hunger with extended abdomens because of malnutrition. If we fed our, our bodies, or our souls, with the Word of God as much as we feed our bodies, I think our souls would be a little bit healthier. Jesus said... Give us this day our daily bread. 
not our yearly bread. And the children of Israel went out every day before the sun came up. I, th- I think that's a great parallel to before the phones are turned on and before the, the, the uh, texts and the messages start happening and the responsibilities. I, I encourage you, if you want to make a New Year's resolution, you want God to change your life because you've been trying to, nothing's happened, I want to encourage you, I, I challenge you, give God the first hour of your day and He'll change your life. You'll never, ever be the same again. I've, I don't know how many people have come back to me after six or eight months and say, you know what, I took you up on your challenge and my life's, not, my life's different. It's not the same. He's first in my life and I see myself growing. And I just, It doesn't mean you have to like, okay, what do I do? Just sit there with God. Sit there with Him. Worship Him. Open the Word a little bit and pray a little bit and just listen a bit. Listen more, actually. He did give you two ears and one mouth. You're supposed to do twice as much listening as you are speaking. I think that's just the way God created us. The Word of God, personally and corporately. We come together to hear the Word, word of God. When we come together corporately, gather together, we, we really come to hear from God. Also prayer. Jesus said, get into your closet. That means get into some place where it's private for you, between you and God. And just get honest before God and real before Him. And listen. Don't forget to listen there. But personal prayer and corporate prayer, it's all in Scripture. They're both there. There's many, many times they came and prayed together. They prayed together. They gathered together to pray. They prayed together. They were together, one heart and one mind praying. It's all through there. Um, With those two things, I want to encourage you to fight for intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is a big deal. Fight for that. Find out what that means. Fight for intimacy, closeness with God. And then fellowship with other believers. We're actually commanded. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. And it was uh, one of the guys, one of the old-time guys, uh, Martin Luther or somebody who said the, uh, the most unchristian Christian is a solitary Christian. God created us to be in unity. Every descriptor of the church as an army or a flock or a building or a field or a body, whatever it is, it all, all requires a whole p- bunch of parts uh, to be working together. Strong relationships with other believers. Fight for those strong relationships. Matthew 18 principle, that has to be paramount in this church. Jesus said, when somebody offends you, you go to them alone. You don't get your prayer group together and pray about it. And then approach them. You go to them alone quickly. If it's a child, go with a child. If they have to face an adult or something, or a male and female situation, be wise in those areas. But the idea is to deal with things when they start. Don't ever, ever, ever keep a list. Don't ever, ever let things go on. We have to fight for healthy, strong, whole relationships. We have to fight for unity in this church. The unity in this church... The sense of oneness, if you're newer to Westside and you go, wow, these guys are friends, you, you have a place here. There's a, part, a place for you. But it didn't just happen. We fight for unity. Yeah. To be of one heart and one mind and going in the same direction, loving one Jesus, serving one God, and, and, and giving our lives up for His glory, not for ours. We have to fight for unity. It doesn't just happen. Whenever there's disunity, we do whatever we can, whatever it takes to mend that up right away. Uh, so that we're strong and united. Because when people dwell together in unity, God commands a blessing. We're also called to be witnesses. That was our theme last year, go therefore. 
When we leave this building, we're going to the mission field. This is not the mission field in here. This is not the game. The game is out there. This is the huddle where we get encouraged. Shot of Gatorade, slap on the back, little plan for the week. Go out there, engage. We come back bruised, battered, bloody, beating. Sometimes with great victories, sometimes with defeats. We lost a few yards, but we come back and do it again. And then steadfastness. We're called to remain. We're called to face the storm and not waver. Perseverance without wavering. I love that. So we fight for this faithfulness thing. In Hebrews, we're going to close with this. Chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. One of the other versions says to the hope we say we have. We say we have hope. Let's hold tightly to that because hope is a good thing. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I believe we're coming to a season on this earth where we need each other more than we ever have before. We need to have strong, healthy, wholesome relationships. Not inwardly directed, but inwardly directed in such a way that we're healthy so that we can do an about face and engage our spheres of influence. We'll never engage the world in a healthy way if we're not healthy. So that's my prayer, is that we will keep moving forward as God has called us to be a strong, healthy local church, but not to just wallow in our health and wholeness but to actually get out there and engage. Young people, engage in your, in your schools, uh, among your classmates, among, uh, with our workmates, with our families and friends. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for a, a challenge for us at the beginning of this year. Lord, we love you so much, and we know that we can't do this without you. Help us to remain faithful. We thank you for the fact that Jesus came and paid the price so that we could have Friendship with you, peace with you. God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.